Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Q-Word podcast listeners, our favorite people in the world. Yes, hello, you lovely listeners. Sorry it's been a minute since we've been around, but, uh, you know, life has kicked in. We've been busy wrapping up the pandemic. Uh, Nisa, you moved to a new house. Uh, I got stuff going on. We got a lot of stuff going on. That's right. And that listen, doesn't mean we haven't been thinking about our listeners, though. That's true. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up, lined up. Um, and this episode today is an episode based on some research that came out, uh, just in the last few months. And when this research came out, we got tagged. If we got tagged once, we got tagged 10 times. This is what the people want. Like this episode had to be made. Although I have to say 10 times, isn't that many tags for, you know, like the social media world, but you know, in the nursing podcasting world, that's, that's a pretty high, the pretty emergency high nursing pod. We are niche of niche. That's true. We are niche of niche and our niche reached out to us and they have spoken. They want us we to get, do this story. We give the people what they want. So we are definitely giving them this, uh, this research is fantastic. I love it. It's, um, fascinating and consequential and titular research. Uh, yes, it is uh, a, 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 a eponymous. What's the word for that? Whatever. I'll delete that. <laughs> so, what okay, so let's do it. Yeah, so what we're talking about is um, an, a research project, an article that was published uh, based on a random control trial where they actually went into a large level one trauma center and on one shift they said i hope you have a shift something keyword shift and on the next shift they did not say it they just said hope you have a good shift and then look at us we're still afraid to say it even when we're not working at hospitals it is just literally verboten listen i know what the evidence says now so (laughs) so um so these folks did did actually take what we love, and that is evidence-based practice, and also what we love, which is superstition a little bit. Um, so, I mean, some of the things that we love on the podcast, obviously, we are very deeply based in evidence-based practice. We tout that a lot, and we feel like it's very important. We also love to peer into the minds of emergency nurses and see what is happening in there, and that is a wild, complex, and fun place to peek into. Um, and that's when these two worlds collide is this research right here. And and this is this is literally what we are about. What about this oh. Q word? So I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to put air quotes around it, which is going to invalidate any of its harmful potential. Okay. But this study was a group of people went into an actual ER and one night said, what a quiet night. And the other night didn't to see whether or not it actually did anything to the volume of patients or the acuity of their uh, of their incoming patients. That's Is right. That correct. That's right. The volume okay. of admissions, the volume of 
folks coming to the ER and the acuity of the patients exactly right. Now, th there have been several iterations of this study in recent years going back as far as, as 2017 is as far as I went back, there are likely more than that. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so for instance, one was done with residents in Japan one was done in a veterinary hospital. I didn't know that this was a superstition among the veterinary medical world, but it is. Um, one was done in the microbiology department in the UK, so the lab folks did not know that they believed in this superstition as well, but evidently they did. But this really is the first one that takes place in, the, in an emergency department, an emergency world. So, and uh, we'll talk about all of, the, all of the results of all of those recent studies. I mean, I just, I, I got to stop right here. The fact that it is an important enough question to actually engender a scientific study, um, it, does this fall under medical research? Was this social science research? I'm just curious about the uh, motivators and what was the actual hypothesis uh, of this study. So I hope we get into all that, but it is really fascinating that it is such a prevalent idea that it warranted a grant to be written so that this study could be funded. I find it fascinating. Yeah, and I love that you said that because, you know, it's not by far, it's not the only superstition that exists in emergency departments and and presumably other departments in the hospital. So for example, we often attribute the full moon to a wild shift or a very busy mm. or a high acu acuity shift. Friday the 13th for us, just like for everyone else, is a day that we uh, meet with trepidation. Is that the right word? Uh, trepidation. Trepidation. Yeah. yeah, you got it, you got it. And you've, you've said this, like we talk every day and It'll often be, you'll say, oh, we're getting to the end of the month, there's a full moon, so it is going to be crazy tonight. Or even on nights when you know um, it, that it's most likely not going to be, there's some correlation with holidays where the night before, or the night after, or the night of, you know you're not going to see anything, but then the next day you're going to get slammed. So I have seen you anticipate these spikes, and more often than not, you're not surprised by the way your night went. You're, you predict accurately. That's right. And the, the ones about the full moon and Friday the 13th, those have been researched as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, there are also some that are, I think, pretty specific to the emergency department. So for example, um, some emergency practitioners believe that if you talk about one of the frequent flyers, if you call them out by name, then they are sure to show up on that shift. Um, and then I think there's also even, it breaks down even further than that, even into some local lore. So for example, in the, in the emergency department that I worked in, the, the large emergency department, we had two exam rooms that had once been janitor closets. And they were, you know, we were expanding, we were bursting at the seams, and so they took these two janitor closets and turned them into exam rooms. So they were significantly smaller than the other exam rooms. And it seemed like when you put a patient in there, they were going to code or you were going to run a code STEMI through there because there, there needed to be so many people and so many pieces of equipment. Of course, it was gonna happen in the tiniest room. Now, mm -hmm. my bet is that if you ran the numbers, those were rooms 10 and 22, by the way, if you ever wanna <laughs> check those out. Man, don't put that patient in 22, it's not gonna go well. 
We're not violating any FERPA or HIPAA or anything no. if we don't say what hospital those room numbers are in. No. Okay, cool. And, and um, I, my guess is that if you ran the numbers, you likely coded or ran STEMIs in, in all the other rooms just as much, but those were more right. memorable because they were harder to run because it was just harder to shove vents and code carts and the code team and all the things into those rooms. So those stick in your mind more. And so it just seems like you it happens more frequently, but it in reality, in all likelihood, if you ran the numbers, it probably didn't. Flight and EMS also has superstitions. Like if you shine your boots, you're going to get a call and you're going to get a really messy one where some kind of bodily fluid is going to end up on your newly shined boots. Or if you take your flight suit off for the evening, put your pajamas on, or if you put a hot plate of food in front of you, inevitably the tones will drop and you will get um, a call. I mean, well, let's face it, every everything has superstitious behavior, right? You hear about baseball players having to tap the home plate three times and scratch their left knee once and pinch their nose and whatever before they go up to bat. or. You hear about golfers, uh, um, heck, even in higher education, uh, at the beginning of every semester, I can't anticipate exactly when all the problems are going to happen because I know, oh, this, we're crunch time, so this is most likely going to happen at this moment. So I guess the reason why it seems more important here is this is literally life and death situations yeah. you're talking about. L- literally, if if you say a word and it and then all holy hell breaks loose. Um, it, it does feel more important somehow. Yeah. You don't want it to go crazy in an ER. That's right. That's, right. It's okay if he doesn't hit that fly ball. <laughs> right? It's okay if that classroom isn't ready when class arrives. But it's really not okay if somebody accidentally says quiet in the ER and then suddenly there's a 40-car pileup brought in the interstate outside of the hospital. Right. That's right. Um. I, I love that you brought up athletes and even golfers because we're going to talk about the research that's been done on those superstitions as well. Oh, um, okay. And then one more that I found really interesting that I wanted to mention that was in the research. So in Singapore and Hong Kong, this is a, a cultural and linguistic one, um, it is commonly held that the consumption of steamed buns, which are B-A-O, pronounced bao. Oh, yes, they're delicious. I have them yes. often. Mm, I love them, mm. and I'm craving them now. Um, mm. So if you are an on-call physician and you eat bow before your shift or during your shift, then you will have increased patient admissions and increased mortality. And evidently, it is because this word is a homonym uh, oh. with a word that means something bad and I did not find in the research what that means I couldn't and I, I tried Google Translate I tried other things to find out what does it mean death does it mean uh, what does it mean and so if we have listeners in the sing in Singapore or Hong Kong it's it's part of a dialect that is spoken there um, please please the keyword podcast at gmail.com tell us what it means Okay, so a homonym is two or more words having the same spelling or pronunciation, but different meanings and origins. Right. So in on okay. one context, it means this delicious steamed bun, but it is a, a, a homonym for something bad. And so you don't eat the bun because then the bad thing will happen. But we need someone to tell us what what is that bad thing. 
continue with this fascinating research study. So do you want to know the results of what they found? I absolutely do, of course. So in this this uh, study in the emergency department, as well as the other studies, they found that there was no difference in patient volume, acuity, or number of admissions. Um, the vet veterinary hospital reports no increase in severely ill or injured animals. The microbiologists okay. report that they had no increase in the volume of studies or the critical reportings that they had to um, report out, studied in the lab. And so they actually were bold enough to conclude that it is safe to say the word quiet on shift. That's right. With finger, without the finger quotes that I just right. very ostentatiously used. Okay. So we have mentioned a number of times that there's some, you know, some low key kind of fun rivalries between emergency uh-huh. clinicians and other folks. Um, <laughs> the lab. I see you. <laughs> I see. Um, the lab is one of them. And so ah. there's a little bit of something there, a little bit of tension between emergency nurses and the, the lab folks, the microbiologists. So the literal recommendation from these microbiologists said the use of the word quiet air quotes. should not be avoided and should, should perhaps even be encouraged, especially is the sentiment in wishing a colleague a quiet shift remains true. So they said there's nothing to it. In fact, you should use it. You should wish this sentiment to your... And I just cannot, honey, no. Good luck with that. Y'all do that in the lab. That's fine. We are not going to do that in the emergency department. Oh, I think that this is a reflection on which 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 population is a little bit more superstitious than the other. It could be. It could be. Mm. So um, again... And this is not a life and death situation in the lab, though. True. Right? That's true. The, peop- the microbiologists are running those tests or growing that bacteria. I'm not exactly sure what specific. I walk through a lot of labs on a daily basis, and it's always hella quiet in there. Yeah. There's never a buzz hubbub of activity from my perspective. However, they're not doing anything that, that may run the risk of somebody dying. So mm, I think they should stay in their lane. Agreed. Um, so similarly, the other studies that I mentioned where they studied volume on Friday the 13th, for example, or phases of the moon, specifically full moons, uh, labor and delivery saw no increase in births of babies. There was no increase in myocardial infarctions, which is heart attacks, uh, no sudden cardiac deaths. There was no link found. So those superstitions have also been debunked. Okay. Um, now, one of the interesting ones that, that we did find... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I got to pause. Do you still feel as if Friday the 13th is more? It's a great question. Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> Same thing with the full moon. Absolutely, I do. So even though you, you we are we are evidence-based podcast, even though the evidence is right there, you still adhere to the fact that okay yes and right, what that's cool. I, I feel like this is going to come back around yes it is what <laughs> what the psychologists say about that is they say it is a um dual process model um elite clinicians which is what we are uh high performers are acting in a dual process model so okay. you can recognize in the moment that your belief does not make any sense but act on it nevertheless. Okay. So that's what the psychologists say about the benefits of superstition. 
Um, one article, one research project, the one in Japan, um, was fantastic. So this was with the residents. The residents did not know that there was a research project being conducted. It was double-blinded. And so they would say at the beginning of their on-call or at the beginning of their shift, they would say um, directly from the article, peppy comments. They would make peppy comments like, hope you have a quiet day. The, the peppy comments from the attending physicians had a minimal jinxing effect. But what they did find, I just love that they called them peppy comments. I think that's probably like a <laughs> translation situation. But anyway, um, what they did find was there actually were more admissions on the shifts where they told them to have a quiet shift. Um, In the peppy way? The peppy yes, comments versus, did actually, oh. versus just saying have a good shift. And so what, what we think happened then is or what likely happened is that it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So these are the right. residents who are making the decision about who to admit and who to send home. And so when you have those patients who are maybe like sitting on the fence or who they think, you know, maybe they're okay to go home, but maybe they should stay for some more observation, they're gonna think, oh, this is such a busy, crazy shift and, and lean toward potentially admitting them. So that's what we kind of right. think might have happened in that situation. Okay, so the, the behavior was uh, somehow being guided by the superstitious behavior that because the, because the word quiet had been uttered earlier on, if they didn't admit those patients, let's say there was more of a likelihood of something going wrong. Well, or they were saying, um, oh, somebody said the keywords, this is going to be a ridiculous shift. So they they thought, well, I'm probably going to be admitting a lot of people. So then they admitted a lot of people. It's like a okay. self-fulfilling prophecy. All right. Yeah. There's a cause and effect thing going on here. Yes. So mm -hmm. in our emergency department study, the way that they researched it was they said the Q word at the beginning of the shift or not. And okay. then three hours later, they interviewed staff and asked them questions about how crowded do you feel like the ER is? How busy do you feel like it became after the Q word was said? And do you believe that the Q word being said had anything to do, did it correlate with the busyness or the acuity or so forth? So um, when they interviewed them three hours later, they, they found no statistical significance between the answers of what they said. But what they did note, which I think is very important, is that staff complained that the quality of the shift had worsened after someone said the Q word. So the, the kind of things that they quoted were more cardiac arrests, the traumas that they got seemed more severe than typical or than on the non-keyword nights, and that they had a plague of lice. <laughs> so they had a, they had a, a, maybe a whole family that came in or, you know, a cluster of nursing home residents or who knows, but uh, uh, <laughs> the literature called it a plague of lice. So. Well, see, but this is, it's almost as if every night in an ER is an apple, an orange, or some other fruit that just, because the location is the same and the staff is the same, doesn't mean that what's going on in the world outside of that environment is the same from day to day. So it, it feels like a a perspective thing, right? Just because the walls that are surrounding you are the same makes you think that 
saying something within those walls is going to make everything that happens within those walls go differently. Where really it's what's happening outside of the walls of the hospital that's coming in. Um, and, and really what's going on out in the world, they didn't hear the word quiet come out. No. So it's such an interesting cause and effect idea that um, I, I, I find this very curious. Yes. I found it curious when we instituted this podcast to begin with and you first explained this superstition which is why we decided to name the podcast what we did um so this study is is fun okay continue continue so why is it that elite high-level clinicians who are college educated registered uh working in this environment where you've got to be at the top of your game why is it that we cling to these superstitions these these friday the 13th this don't say this word the full moon. Um, it's because of our brains. Our brains like answers. Uh, our brains want explanations. And, and we look for patterns too, right? We look for patterns and we want to try to make sense out of chaos. And if you've right. been in a level one trauma center emergency department, chaos is the name of the game. And so <laughs> we want an explanation for it. We want to be able to categorize it. We want to be able to say, okay, the reason why this is happening is whatever. And so um, the, the research says we look for meaning, justification, even security um, mm. by trying to, to um, make sense out of it. Another, um, I guess you get us, you, you can get a sense of comfort if say, well, it's because someone said the word, that's why this is happening to us. Exactly. Or, oh, well, somebody said the word, things are going to get worse. I'm, I'm pre-framing my anticipation of the evening by virtue of this superstition so that maybe psychologically preparing yourself um, for the potentiality that things will go off the rails. Yeah. So um, gaining control in an otherwise out-of-control situation, one author called it a, a type of a coping mechanism. Like, this is how we're going to cope with this chaotic shift. We're going to blame it on something totally innocuous. So um, you mentioned athletes, and you mentioned, like, the tapping of the, you know, whatever, or the golfer who has the things. And there has been research that's been done on, on elite athletes, and it turns out that the more elite an athlete is, the more the, mm-hmm. the um, correlation to the, the level of superstition that they have, which is fascinating. And I think that if you, you know, corresponded athletes and nurses, emergency department nurses would definitely be um, on the elite end, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they also happen to be more, at, this is elite athletes, they happen to be more superstitious surrounding the more difficult tasks in their sports. So they're going to do a game clutching penalty kick or they're coming up to bat with two two outs in the bottom of the ninth or whatever. The superstition level is going to rise as it would be the more chaotic a shift got, for example, or the sicker the patients seem to be. Um, so in conclusion, what they decided on this this evidence or this research about athletes is that uh, it is a, an objective benefit to have superstitions when you're an, uh, an elite athlete because it sort of enlists the placebo effect where the athlete gains a sense of control over their mind. They get some mental reassurance in unpredictable situations. Um, they are able to regulate these emotions that they're having, maybe even their adrenaline, 
in the quest for optimal performance. And I feel like there's definitely a correlation here between um, emergency nurses and the, the um, trauma junkie and the adrenaline of these trauma codes and these cardiac arrests and so forth, um, looking towards some of these kind of ritual superstition type things um, to, to calm your mind and so forth. Well, I mean, the, the, like in terms of golf, I, I play a little golf and I know that there are four physical things I have to do in order to hit the ball. Right. Right. Like it, it, it has to do with my, where I take my breath and how the, my weight shifts and how I move my hip and how far back I go, just those sorts of things. Um, but they do take on a sense of a superstitious or, or ritualistic mm-hmm. approach. I it is a physical approach, right? I'm engaging the muscles and my breathing at the right time. But if I don't do them just right, I do get a superstitious a superstitious response to it. A sense that I somehow displeased the gods by not doing it. That's why I shanked that ball, or right, that's why I flubbed it, or whatever. So I can see how it starts as a practical set of steps that you take in order to accomplish this goal, but that you become so particular about the order in which those steps take place and the exact way in which you execute them, that if you get anything wrong, the entire structure falls apart. And when you're in the ER and you have all of these things that you have to do and you have to think critically on your feet to respond to any patient walking in the door and any little thing might throw that set of steps off and result in somebody's death or some some catastrophic failure I see how it becomes spiritual or ritualistic or almost a, a religious type of adherence to an idea on top of a process or a procedure yeah and it's not just about the patient outcomes although that's incredibly important but it's also about the survival skills of the nurse. Like this is a way that you combat burnout. This is a way that you get through every shift every day because you're talking about seeing six, eight, ten patients a day. So you're just talking about your own mental well-being. This is something that you you're latching onto in in a very small way. Mm-hmm. Um, back to your golf uh, comments. There's research uh, as well about superstitions that that says that shows when you activate some kind of a good luck superstition, like um, you say to someone break a leg or they have a lucky charm or they cross their fingers for good luck or whatever, that um, it actually improves their performance in tasks. And the tasks Mm. that were tested were golf, um, motor dexterity, memory, and anagram games. So there, the, what this research decided, what they concluded was that it boosts your self-confidence. Well, I, I, I got my good luck charm, so I've got my, you know, boost your self-confidence, which leads to improved performance. Um, I'm going to need for you to say good luck to me every morning so that before I play my Wordle, I'll, I'll get it more In rapidly. two or three guesses. Yeah. Yeah. So please, please work that into your day. There's a lot of research and evidence about ways that when we get into 
really um, intense situations on on shifts when we know a trauma is coming in when we know a cardiac arrest is coming in when we know something you know or, or we just walk into a room and something is unanticipated we do get that adrenaline dump um, and mm-hmm. and it can both enhance your performance but if it's too much it can also impair your performance so there are ways that we have learned to sort of trick our body so doing the tactical breathing, the square breathing, where you slow your breathing down and get your kind of heart rate back down um, art, really artificially by almost holding your breath and then releasing it. Um, one thing I do before every call is, you know, when we have the tones go off, I'm going to get some kind of an adrenaline dump, of course. Um, I will take a piece of gum and chew a piece of gum. Because when your body gets that adrenaline rush, you sort of tip over into fight or flight a little bit. And when I put the piece of gum in my mouth, I'm telling my body, no, no, we're in feed or breed. So calm down. Like, we're good. We're chewing gum. We're Oh, so your body says, oh, okay, we must be okay. Let's let's dial it back a little bit. Let's dial it down. Wow, this is fascinating. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen you chew gum. Yeah. You don't really, you're not... I, You're not a gum chewer no, like out and about. No. Interesting. So I, <gasps> Something new about you. Look at that. So I think what? this is the mental version of that. I think this is saying, you know, I've got my lucky charm, so brain, we're good. We're good. Mm. Now, the difference is that with the keyword situation, this is, a, this is not uh, something you invoke. It's something you ban. Right. So you invoke saying break a leg, you invoke touching your lucky charm, you invoke like crossing your fingers or whatever, tapping the uh, home plate three times or whatever. This Mm -hmm. is something that we are actively disallowing versus something that you're actively doing. So this is this is not walking under a ladder. This is rejecting that black hat that crosses your path. This is not seeing Macbeth in a theater. Yes, exactly right. Mm. So the one author that was reviewing this research, uh, he says, um, if the staff perceives that the shift is busier and worse and the quality of the shift goes down, patients are sicker, then that's enough evidence as it is. The perception by the staff is enough. So he says, and this is his direct quote, in the end, if using quiet worsens the perceptions of the work environment in my fellow staff, then I will gladly avoid it to keep the shreds of harmony alive that exists during my shift. So he has Mm. determined that just the perception by the staff is enough evidence. Although the numbers don't support it, the perception does. Um, Mm. One thing that was brought up in all of these research projects is uh, um, none of them have been broken down by things that we normally break down research in. So for instance, um, none of the demographic of the staff, no, you know, were men more superstitious or women? What about, was it, you know, maybe younger staff members or older staff members? Or is it across all of the ages? We don't know that. What about experience level? Does that play into it? Seniority in the hospital, expertise, knowledge on the subject. We don't have any of those pieces of information. So those would be really okay. interesting things going forward to see um, who is more superstitious and who is less. Is it that the more expertise you gain and the more, more seniority this falls off. You know, you and I have been low-key anecdotally doing this research every single time we have a um, a, uh, a guest, a, yeah. a guest. And what would you mm-hmm. say, what would you say our research shows, our anecdotal research? 
all softball, 90% of the people say that they don't say it. That we have a, a couple people come to mind as rebels who want to claim ownership of the word, right? Like, I'm going to reclaim it. I'm not going to let this word control me. So I go ahead and say it. I can think of maybe two people out of all the interviews that we've done off the top of my head. But for the most part, people stick to the superstition and try to avoid it. I, I think of it also as a social thing, too, right? You're, you're part of the club at the hospital if you are, if you go into shock, <laughs> just like all your coworkers do when that one random new person says the word on the ward, right? Mm -hmm. Or if they say it right there. That if you don't, if you are not part of the joke or not part of the story, it feels uh, you feel like you're not a true member of a team. Let's say, and so you start to adopt that behavior because everybody else is doing it and then I think it becomes part of your belief structure that's right I agree that it's part of the camaraderie for sure mm -hmm. it's certainly what happens in the theater too when you don't say Macbeth in the theater because yeah. and you tell people like there's young kids who come in and you're like oh you're not allowed to say that in here and then you explain it and you see them process it and 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 make up their mind that they're not going to say it in the theater anymore either and because so, so they don't want to be the reason why the the curtains fall, yes. the lighting rig falls. I want to dig into Macbeth a bit. This is something that we literally, you brought into episode zero. When we introduced the podcast, you said, oh, it's like saying Macbeth in the theater. So what uh -huh. is the thing that you say instead of Macbeth? What is it called? What do you say? You say uh, the Scottish play or? Oh, yeah. It's called the Scottish play. The Scottish play. Mm -hmm. And you don't say right. to an actor or, or any kind of performer, good luck. Good luck on your. No. No, you say break a leg. And there's a bunch of different reasons, uh, a, a bunch of different interpretations of where the term break a leg came from. Uh, we had this debate with our other best friend, Michelle, about the different reasons why, because her daughter and, and her whole family is very active in theater. And there are all of these theories going around as to why you say break a leg as opposed to good luck. But that saying good luck is bad luck. Uh, that inevitably, if you say that to an actor before they go on stage, they're going to uh, slip in a puddle or they're going to forget all their lines or um, something terrible is going to happen. That's right. Um, mm -hmm. I dug into the history of the Macbeth um, superstition. And Did you? Yes. And I found that <laughs> it was um, the curse of Macbeth became a thing because supposedly the very first performance of the play was a complete disaster. Uh, there was a young boy that was supposed to play Lady Macbeth. He reportedly died shortly before the performance. So legend has it that Shakespeare himself had to fill in and play that role. Um, apparently there are some sword fighting or some violent uh, violence oh, yeah. in there. And uh, someone replaced the, um, the, this, the prop daggers with real daggers, resulting in the death of another actor during the performance. Oh, now, how do I not know this? I'm a That's, terrible English literature yeah. major that I'm not familiar, and theater major that I'm not familiar with the story. Interesting. So, okay, so the theories about why it's a cursed play is this, you know, of course, this history about the first performance, but also because it is a really complicated play with multiple 
uh, sword fights and other violent scenes, it obviously lends itself to mishaps and injuries, right? Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. And then it's evidently a very expensive play to produce. And so because okay. theaters already work on such tight margins, if you don't financially handle it very carefully, it can lead to a financial disaster and then it's blamed on the curse. And then, of course, the fact that it's a 400-year-old play and has, has had the time to... I mean, just over time, there's going to be disastrous performances of it, right? So it, right. it continues to, um, to perpetuate. But this I did not know, and this I find very fascinating and incredibly important for our purposes. So if an actor or a, a passerby or a, a, a person on the, what, a stage hand, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. inadvertently says Macbeth instead of calling it the Scottish play and, and presumably brings the curse down, you can undo the curse. Did you know this? I, wait, I think I did know this. There's something else you can say. Yes. So you undo the Macbeth jinx by turning around three times and saying a phrase from one of Shakespeare's other plays, like for instance, from Hamlet. Um, some, some of the things that I read said you spit over your left shoulder and <sighs> recite something like angels and ministers of grace defend us from Hamlet. Uh, there's no prescribed incantation. You can anything, but it can't be from Macbeth. So turn around okay. three times, spit over your left shoulder, and say something from Hamlet or some other play of Shakespeare's will undo the Macbeth curse. So what I'm proposing to you today and to all of our listeners is that we create some sort of undo of the oh. jinx of the Q word. Why do we not have an undo? That's true. I would make a racket really quickly. Like the minute somebody said it, I, I think everybody should like stamp the floor 10 times, clap their hands uh, and uh, yodel. Uh, something to make a lot of noise really quickly. The opposite to of quiet. immediately undo the quiet yes. that was just So summoned. I was on the very similar frame, but going with the Macbeth idea, I say you go into the med room, which is a private room usually. It's closed and locked away from where visitors, patients, family members can see you. Take a normal saline flush squirt it over your left shoulder and then say something like you said I guess spitting wouldn't be very no hygienic. don't spit so so same idea instead of making a lot of noise you say what's the opposite of you know oh I don't want to have this you say like bring it balls to the wall or bring it mm. lock and load or let's get it let's go mm. you just tell the trauma mm. gods like do your worst let's go bring it mm. balls to the wall okay. let's go so uh, all right suggestions on a postcard from our listeners yes uh, what keyword podcast what techniques the keyword podcast at gmail.com what have you got to undo the keyword cursed uh, a la macbeth um okay. we do, oh, that's a great idea we do have a list from the research of words that you can use instead of um quiet and those include so are they straight up synonyms or yeah a calm shift a slow shift a boring shift uh. i hope you have a low volume shift doesn't really roll off the tongue um but Anne marie papa who's been a guest on our show before a uh, quite prominent emergency nurse and a past president of ena she says manageable shift i hope you oh, have a manageable, manageable shift which is nice so those are other words that you can <coughs> use um the, uh, I still feel like you'll be calling down the gods. I mean, they are the trauma gods. They they have a thesaurus too. Um, <laughs> the trauma gods do. 
indeed they do uh, right i mean it's just kind of like if you try not to like use foul language or you know you try not to say the lord's name in vain but you instead say a uh, cheese and rice instead of you know jesus christ or whatever when you're cursing it's basically it's the, the same, same thing right you're just kind of twisting the rules a bit um the the last thing in closing that i wanted to mention was this fantastic article from um the uk these are uh these are physicians orthopods uh it's called statistics versus superstition taking a look at medicines macbeth and it's also about the the q word and so their very very cheeky suggestion is um, that that each department should appoint a keyword specialist manager to oversee the implementation of a keyword eradication policy, and that furthermore nationwide health focused initiatives, uh, a campaign specifically to prevent the public from saying the keyword, particularly focused at schools and workplaces. So they are poking fun at the things that we typically do when we find an issue. Well, we're going to appoint a special manager to oversee. We're going to write a policy. We're going to eradicate. Yeah, let's, we'll let's, do a public let's health Let's get a working group together oh on establishing gosh. a white paper. On... Yes. The Brits of the <laughs> NHS, they win the Q word game with that. I would like to apply for the job of Q word specialist manager. To oversee mm, the policy. So good. Agreed. So I mean, good. you're already the co-host of the Keyword Podcast, so I think that you're a natural shoe-in for it. And it sounds like a job you could do from remote. Good, good. Listen, <laughs> I don't care what the evidence says. I mean, I do. I love evidence-based medicine. But I agree with the author who says just the perception is enough. And I agree yeah. with the idea of the dual process model, that we can know that what we're doing and saying has no basis in science or numbers, but happy to do it anyway. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, so I will continue to not say the Q word. Thank you. Anywhere, anytime I'm in a hospital. Thank you. Uh, it does come up in other parlance, but you know, it's, a, it's not so bad there. Very interesting. I, I just love that somebody actually did a study on this. Lots of somebodies. I do too. Lots of somebodies. I mm-hmm. love this information so good all right well well folks we would always like to hear from you so hit us up on our facebook page email us as nisa said earlier at the keyword podcast at gmail.com and let us know do you say the keyword what do you think about uh, a, a process by which you can undo the damage of the keyword being said Yes, and if you are from Singapore or Hong Kong and speak the dialect that has a homonym for bow, please, we're dying Mm. to know what is, unless it's superstition and you can't say it, tell me what it means, I'm dying to know what it means. So when when you email us, make sure it's thequewordpodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. That's us. And, you know. Give us a little rating on iTunes if you're like what we're doing. Sorry we've been gone for a while, but like Nisa said, we've got a bunch of things lined up for you, and hopefully we'll have a whole bunch of new episodes dropping any day now. So thanks for sticking with us. Nisa, as always, it was a pleasure. All right. I hope you have a calm evening. And I hope you have a boisterous one. (gasps) (laughs) Bye, folks. Bye. I dropped you. (laughs) Sorry.
I, I saw myself flipping. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, that's okay. We're off to a good start. I love it.